Hi, my name is Danielle and you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this podcast, we discuss subjects that might be creepy to some and sometimes even frightening. Some of our episodes will deal with serious subject matter, while others will be more lighthearted. Please keep in mind that I am not an expert on any of the topics I cover, just an interested party, and as always, listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone and welcome back. I'm Danielle. I'm Paul-Emile. And you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On today's episode, we'll be discussing a disappearance that happened in Nova Scotia back in 2004. I don't think there's like a particular profile for a missing person, but the missing person we're going to talk about today certainly doesn't fit your typical profile. Tonight, we're talking about the disappearance of Leonette Purcell. Now, this episode probably won't be a very long one. The reason for this is that there's just not a lot of information available out there on this case. I think sometimes when the missing person is a bit older, the public loses interest more quickly. But this woman went missing in 2004 and the case remains unsolved. We do need to keep talking about her if we ever want answers to the questions about what happened to her. Here's her case. It was December 16th, 2004, in Grand Lake, Nova Scotia, which is a place near Fall River. Um, If you're not familiar with Nova Scotia, that's pretty close to the airport. It's that time of year when even people like me who don't especially get overly festive for Christmas start feeling a little bit of the Christmas spirit. Leonette Purcell was 56 at the time of her disappearance. She was seen by her family that morning. She was up and about doing some cleaning. Her husband, Brian, saw her before he left for work that day. I couldn't find any information about what time he left for work or what time he left the house, but based on some stuff we'll talk about a bit later, we'd be led to believe that she was home alone by 10 o'clock. And he left that day not knowing that this would be the last time he'd see his wife. So right off the hop, Uh, I'm thinking December in the Maritimes. Um, It's kind of cold for anybody to survive outside if you get lost or anything like that. Yeah. And 56-year-old, that is not an age where people tend to decide they're going to run away and hide. Right. So things that go through my mind, knowing this is a missing person case, um, and maybe we can talk about that once we go through the whole story, but the one thing that comes to mind with me is like if you are running away later in life it's often because you're trapped in a situation that you're trying to get away from the first thing that comes to mind is a battered woman um, someone who's had their life threatened and there's no information that comes out about that through the whole case so even though it's the first thing that comes to mind it doesn't seem like it's either relevant or anything that was pursued or could be a possibility but there's so many weird things in this case that make you think that it might be something completely different According to a 2008 Chronicle Herald article, Brian came home from work around 4.30 to find the lights off in the house and his wife's car still in the driveway. So I found out while I was researching this case that there's actually a website that gives you a historical time for sunrise and sunset. So it's December, mid-December. I know the sun goes down pretty early, but I wanted to know like how dark would it be, how strange would it be to drive up to a house without lights. And on December on December 16th, 2004, 
sunset would have been at 4.31 p.m. So it would have been pretty dark at that point. If you're wanting to find that site, it's called timeanddate.com. So coming home to a dark house when you know someone should be home is pretty off-putting. I don't know if you've had it happen to you, but you drive up and is that that immediate feeling of, okay, what's going on here? Especially if it's outside the normal routine. Exactly. I mean, sure, they could just be asleep, you know, fell asleep for a nap and then didn't wake up and the lights didn't get turned on. But if you're like me, your brain always goes to the worst possible scenario before even thinking about a logical explanation. Brian would later state that he knew right away that something wasn't right. His wife was not the type to go out without letting anyone know what was going on. And when he came home to the dark house and went in and saw that his wife wasn't there, he pretty much immediately started taking action. Brian began by calling friends and family to see if anyone knew where she was. When this didn't get him anywhere, and Leonette still hadn't turned up, he called the police. So this would have been around 6 p.m., and he reported her missing. So an hour and a half later. Yeah, which I think is... It's reasonable, after making phone calls and trying to check up and see if maybe she's at a friend's. Exactly. So I can see that you're sitting there for a little bit and then you start calling people. And by the time you kind of mentally go through everyone you should be calling, then when you run out, you're thinking, okay, well, this is the next logical step, right? 16 years ago, I'm not sure how many people had an actual cell phone in their pocket. Uh, Somebody that was 56. Yeah. So 2004, I wouldn't have had a cell phone. I don't think I got my first cell phone until 2007. I do think like probably younger people, a lot of them were starting to get them, but it definitely wasn't like it is today. And like, were you even bringing it with you if you went somewhere? It was used for emergencies. And today we just call the person or text them. But back then, even though it's not that long ago, it was different. And I think there's a difference in that too. Like I'll easily go somewhere without telling anyone because I know I can text them from where I'm at, but... In 2004, if you were leaving when you weren't supposed to, like you leave a note on the counter or you call the person to let them know because it's just not as easy to get in touch with people and figure out what's going on. So Brian called the police around 6 p.m. and the police did come over to the house. He says that the cleaning supplies that his wife had been using that day were still out and the phone was unplugged when he got home. It's a little bit strange. Strange, yes. Especially if she was the type and... From him saying those cleaning supplies were still out, I'm assuming she's a type that would put things away immediately. If you came into my house and cleaning supplies were out, that wouldn't be so odd. Leonette's keys and winter coat were still in the house. The only items that were missing were her purse and a queen-size floral bedspread. Suspicious. Right. The missing bedspread wasn't even noticed at first, Brian mistakenly thought that the police had actually taken it with them when they searched the house. And it only came out later when he was having a conversation with the police and he mentioned something about them taking the bedspread or doing something with it when they realized that that was missing. Now, one of the very interesting things in this case, and you can find it in almost every article that you read, but um, there's not a lot of detail the, the police force investigating the case keep mentioning that they're interested in learning the identities of two men that were seen at an Irving big stop in Enfield around 10 a.m. on the day she went missing. So 
it seems that they that these two men used the payphones at the big stop to call the Purcell residence, and that's according to a Chronicle Herald article. So they used the payphone at the big stop to call that residence. Correct. In 2004, payphones would have been pretty common at gas stations. Again, not everyone has a cell phone, so you'd stop at a gas station to make a call. And I think even more so at a big stop because long-haul truckers stop there for breaks. None of the articles explain exactly how they knew these men were calling the Purcell's residence. I assume they traced all incoming and outgoing calls on the phone. Like there was probably a way to get the phone records and then trace that number to the big stop. At one time, you could just dial star 69, I think, and find out who was the last caller. The last caller, yeah. Yeah, but I guess the police would probably have had the resources to match that number up to that bank of payphones. So I'm assuming that this is what happened there. Now, this call lasted four minutes. So it was obviously deliberate. It wasn't an accidental dial and a whole conversation took place. We also know that it's one of the two men that placed the call. They weren't both um, on the phone. So one was involved in the conversation, the other one wasn't. And I know that's not a big point to make, but there's so little here that I do think it's important to point out the little things. According to the Chronicle Herald, Leonette's husband, Brian, saw the video of the two men. So there is a video of them making the call. That was going to be my next question. There would have been surveillance there. Yeah. He was unable to identify them. The video showed the men in the convenience store part of the big stop, but apparently it was really poor quality, like those videos usually are, quite grainy. And the investigators were not really able to identify much about the men either. I wasn't able to find the video anywhere. I don't know. I I didn't see that it was actually released to the public anywhere. So that is something that I find quite unfortunate because I think a lot of times, especially with a poor quality video, if you actually know the person, you might recognize something like from the gate, that the way they're walking, a gesture, um, just something particular that stands out to you. But if you don't know them, it doesn't really ring a bell. Body language, uh, the way they carry themselves, and even the clothes they're wearing. Right. Somebody may recognize them. And that would be completely lost on a stranger. Like something that might be important wouldn't even stand out to you. So the only information we really have about these two men is that they look to be white in their 30s and of average build, so about 5'9". In their 30s, I find if it's a poor quality video, that might not mean anything. Because I find even when you get a really good look at someone, it's often really hard to gauge their age. So I would take that with a pretty big grain of salt. The police stated that they were interested in speaking to anyone who had seen Leonette that day. And they mentioned especially seeing her walking to the mailbox. But they don't give any detail about this either. So I don't know if they think she was abducted on the way to the mailbox, but that doesn't really make sense to me because... It does really seem like someone was in the house. The phone was unplugged. Her purse is gone. Bedspread missing. They may have found mail in the house too that she would have picked up that day. Right. Or maybe they're just thinking like anyone who saw absolutely anything and knowing she went to the mail, maybe there was a car out there. Maybe she talked to someone. So maybe that's just the train of thought there. 
An extensive ground, air, and water search of the area took place in the Grand Lake area, but nothing at all was discovered. There's a lot of woods there. Yeah. And a lot of water. Yeah. In 2006, Brian moved to have his wife declared legally dead. He says that there was a massive police investigation for his wife and that the family no longer believes that she's alive. She has not been heard from by anyone and her bank account remains untouched. Now, I did see a little chatter because I did go down the Reddit rabbit hole with this and I did see a little bit of chatter about him having her declared dead two years later, but there can be a million reasons for that. Um, it can be as simple as just trying to fulfill her requests in her last will and testament. It can be something legal with the house that needs to be done. Like maybe he needs to sell the house. Maybe he wants to get out of there and he possibly can't do it without having that done. Right. And um, possibly just making a decision on his own that he figures she's deceased and he wants to move on with his life. And Exactly. Yeah. So I don't think that in and of itself is a big red flag, though some people seem to think so. There's no nothing saying that the police investigated Brian. Uh, it doesn't mean that it hadn't been done. I'm sure they looked into him. It's usually the first person that gets looked at, but there was nothing saying either way that he was cleared or he was looked into. So I can't say anything well, about I'm sure that. They, I'm sure they checked that out because it's usually the partner is the first person that they look at. Right. So the reward for information on this case was actually raised to $150,000 a few years ago in hopes that someone would, would come forward with any kind of information, but it doesn't seem like anything came out of it. The money wasn't paid out, and Leonette remains missing to this day. Did they have children? Mm -hmm. I don't know how many, but I know there was, when they're talking about her husband having her declared legally dead, the son, I don't know if it's the only child, but the son supported it and also wanted her declared legally dead. So Leonette is described as five foot two and weighed approximately 135 pounds at the time of, of her disappearance. She was 56 years old and had brown, short brown hair, blue eyes, and the picture they show of her, she's also wearing glasses. So that's it, that's all the information I could find. There's not a lot of information, and the case is not that old, really, 16 years. There's, there's older cases than that that are solved. Were there any indications that uh, she was being unfaithful? She mm. could have left with somebody? If something came out, it wasn't in any of the articles I could find. So, And that's usually the things you read about, right? Like someone was cheating, someone was being abusive, things like that. But I couldn't find any information. And even like when I did go down the Reddit rabbit hole, there were a few uh, people coming forward with, like, maybe this happened, but they weren't basing it on any information that was available out there, really. And it's for sure that the police do have more information than what has been released, and they're just holding it in case they ever find the body and are able to, to either get DNA or get some more information to find these two guys or, or whoever's responsible for that. But that's not a lot of information for a case. No, and I do find that, I mean, most of the research I'm doing now is Canadian cases, and I have looked into stuff from the U.S. before, and I think the police in Canada are really, really big on holdback information. So they only parse the information out. They very give it, like, very slowly in bits. I don't know if that's always helpful in a cold, like, a very cold case. I think at one point, 
the public could be used a lot more to help solve these cases. And I do, I don't know if you listened to the last episode, but we did talk about criminologists actually saying this, that it can be helpful in the beginning to hold back on a lot of information, but long-term you win more by actually putting that information out there. I think what happens too is if there's not much information out there, somebody may have seen something that they don't even think is related to it. So if there's a bit more information, uh, it may jar somebody's memory. Hey, I remember seeing this or that or a vehicle or... And that's exactly right. Like you don't always know what you don't know. Right. So I think that's why sometimes coming to the public um, with information... And I know that cases get solved when people also share stuff on social media. So when it goes viral on social media or targeted to certain areas, information tends to come out. So... And I think it's something that's going to be learned and utilized more in the future. I just think with this case, because it was in 2004 and that wasn't really readily available, it's not something that was used so much. I think her age also may have played a factor. If it would have been a child Hmm. or a a teenage person, um, more people would have been interested in the case, but a 56-year-old woman and... People are quick to pass judgment and say things, well, she took off on her own, she went into hiding, or she left yeah. for whatever reason. But um, we tend to have a, a little less of a concern for somebody that, at that age. Right. And, and, and if she'd have been 10 years older, there may have been more interest. Right. And that's the thing, like, there's not even mention of, like, 56 years old, it's not old by any means, but... Could there have been some mental health issues there? Could there have been some early onset dementia, maybe like a stroke and then confusion and she wandered off into the woods? Um, It's hard to believe that there'd be zero trace of her if that was the case, if it was just someone confused and wandering. But we've seen it happen before with older people that get lost in the woods just because they got confused. Sure, sure. And, and, you know, you have cases of people following a GPS down the dirt road and getting stuck and spending yeah. days there. And you wonder, like, what were they thinking? But, you know, you had confusion. Uh, you never know what the person is going through right at that time. But the strange thing with this is the purse is gone. Uh, she either took it with her or it was robbery. And the missing bedspread... It's a strange thing to go missing. Did it, to use it to carry a body out? That's the one thing that comes to my mind. Like, why else would you be taking a bedspread? But like, if she took her purse, why did she leave the keys? Like, I feel like those are two things that you take, even if you're just trying to run off. Um, My thought though is like, let's say she did have a stroke and then she was very confused and wandered away. Maybe she thought, oh, it's cold. I'm going to bring a blanket, right? When you're not able to think straight. But then that doesn't answer the question of who are these two men that were calling her? And why is the phone unplugged? Why is the phone unplugged? And if these two men had, like, if it was just nothing, if they were calling to clean her gutters, you would come forward. Right. You'd feel like at one point they'd be like, oh my gosh, I called that lady. They're looking for me. I was the one calling from that payphone. So again, I think sometimes maybe that's why you want to reach out to the public more. And maybe that was done more on the news and things at the time. And it, the articles just aren't available. Um, I don't recall but, ever hearing about this case. Yeah. I don't know how far that information reached. But it's just that thing of like, if that call was 100% innocent, why doesn't anyone know who these two men are? So it feels like that has to have 
some kind of involvement. It's a strange uh, thing to that is that Enfield big stop. Yeah. Yeah. You know. That's where the... It was in the news. Uh, recently, recently for the Porta Peak massacre. Right. right. Yeah, I don't know. Just like the little things in this case, there's so little information, but they are... They're the ones that niggle at your brain, like why, why, why? And the blanket that they're missing bedspread doesn't necessarily mean a body, but they could have, if she was abducted, wrapped her in there to take her out so she wouldn't struggle as much. And the, and the fact that she went out and wandered, like there's, there's miles and miles of her kilometers of woods and ponds everywhere. December, some of them may have been slightly frozen. It's just, yeah, it's just one of those you read about and it just niggles at your brain. Well, hopefully somebody out there will remember something and get in touch with the authorities. The and yeah, if nothing else, there's a huge reward available if that's something that, you know, makes the right person sort of willing to make a call. It is there. This is the second missing person case I do in a row, I think. Yeah, because I did Melanie Etier last week so i think i'm not gonna do missing people for a week or two we might do a mystery next week because again these cases really stay with my brain and i know i'm not equipped to solve these but i can't stop thinking about them and wish that i had the ability to do so so we might do something a little bit lighter next week i think it's important that they're covered and uh, put back into the public's mm, interest in- interest uh, but yeah it does get uh it gets you in a well you you did one last week and one again this week so you're in that frame of mind maybe yeah. it's time to do something something a little, a little bit different for today's moment of kindness i want to mention a local animal rescue in the area called fly with me animal rescue um, i follow them on instagram and i think they adopt animals through eastern canada um, if you're looking to adopt a pet They're really awesome because they rescue animals, but they also have a really big social media presence. They do post a lot on there. And I think mainly, and I think they do a lot of work to put the information out there about their animals. Um, I think they do an amazing job. I do spend quite a bit of time on their page looking at their pets, even if I'm not in a position to adopt one. It's heartwarming to see the animals and the happy adoption stories that happen once they actually find their forever homes. If you're looking for a dog to call your own, go check out their site. So that's all for tonight. Thank you for listening to our episode. Stay safe out there, everyone. Good night. If you like the podcast and could take a moment to share, review, and subscribe, we would greatly appreciate it. You can reach us at crimeandmysterycanada at gmail.com. Please feel free to submit a story for our weekly dose of kindness, and we might pick your story to read on the podcast. You can also send me suggestions for local mysteries or crimes that you would like to see featured on our show. We can also be found on our Instagram page, Crime and Mystery Canada.